Will you please open your copies of God's Word this evening to the prophet Isaiah? The prophet Isaiah and chapter 8. And we will commence our reading at verse 13 and continue our reading into chapter 9. Up to and including verse 7. Isaiah chapter 8 and reading from verse 13. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin, that is an engine, and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, Should not a people seek unto their God, for the living, to the dead, to the law, and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And they shall pass through it, hardly bestead and hungry, and it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth, and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, 
the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us all uh, this evening. It is with the Lord's help that we hope uh, to examine uh, verses 19 and 20 from chapter 8 that we read. Verses 19 and 20. And then we'll read those together once again before we call upon the Lord for help in prayer. Verses 19 and 20 of chapter 8 of the prophecy of Isaiah. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Amen. Let us call upon the Lord. We give thee humble thanks, O Lord, that thy holy and infallible word has been read out in our hearing, that we've heard the voice of God speaking to us. What are we? Nothing. Dust and ashes, by nature enemies of God. And yet the kindness of God that has caused us to hear the word of God, to see something of the gospel, And hear the truths, oh, in a world that's full of lies and spiritual darkness, that we may open the Scriptures and that our heart and our our eyes and our minds may become illuminated by Thy Word. So, Lord, we do pray that Thou wilt bless the going forth of Thy Word this evening, that Thou wilt prove how sharp that double-edged sword of the Word of God is, that it will enter into every heart, that it may please thee to cut away sin and unbelief, and as that surgeon's scalpel that it is to give life, new life, restore life. Lord, that thou will be glorified, that thou will be pleased to convict the sinner, convert them to Christ, restore the backslider, Feed thy flock and give unto me thy spirit that I may preach thy word with power. And may all this redound to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have had the privilege of studying any early church history, and I know there's a, quite a number of homeschoolers in with us this evening who no doubt have studied early church history. You'll know that the early church in the first three centuries, the first 300 years or so of the church, slightly less, uh, suffered major persecutions, ten major but many, many minor persecutions. Uh, they were, were empire-wide that had been established by the various emperors. Tiberius was no friend of the gospel, and Nero even less so. Uh, But also there were local governors here and there that uh, turned their face against the people of God. And and so many were 
Many were slaughtered. Many were martyred uh, for their faith. And so they were often fondly remembered. There was a, uh, if you consider a congregation or a number of congregations in the local place and, and say the, the, the persecution was very hefty at one particular point and they, they lost their, their, their preachers, they lost their, their, their precious saints, they, they lost people from their own uh, congregation. It was commonplace for that congregation every year to consider uh, the dead of that congregation as, as we would do at the, at the last service or the first service of the year. Uh, just briefly remember those that the Lord has taken away from our midst in the previous uh, 365 days. Well, they would consider uh, those people who were martyred for the faith, who, who stood fast in the obedience to the gospel, even unto their own death. And so there was that yearly memorial and even a recounting of the story of of what happened uh, to cause them to be martyred in the first place. And so things would be added to this, the story of their own conversion, the story of their godly lives as as an example to the flock. And as the generations went forth in that particular church, then they would have to be reminded of what happened 10 years ago or 40 years ago or, or 100 years ago. And how these people received grace from God to stand and not to fall, to withstand persecution, to withstand the pains and the horrors. And so they were told and retold to encourage the believers. See how the Lord can take this mere believer and do something glorious in him. So uh, as, the, as these, these that were martyred were to, did look to the Lord for help, and so the believers today, if there's another persecution coming, we too can look to the Lord for that help. And so it was a word of encouragement to remain steadfast under the perils to life and limb. Uh, that were very evident in those days. And if you know any broader church history, as has been repeated throughout history again and again, and is still happening today in various parts of the world, in almost every Muslim country, in India, uh, in China, North Korea, uh, just mentioning those uh, places. But we know how, how these Western nations that were once Christian, uh, or at least professedly Christian have turned their back and have become more and more uh, the foe of the Christian themselves. Now these early martyrs that we're considering, they were entitled saints. They were called the saints, the holy ones. And all that come to the Lord Jesus Christ who are saved by him are called saints, the the holy ones of uh, God. But these particular saints who were martyrs were honored highly in the church and so it came to pass uh, that in a local congregation, uh, they, would, they would remember these people on the particular death day. So they died on, a, on September the 7th, so every year on September the 7th, they would remember that. Now, as the case was that these days became saints' days, as the Romish system uh, became more and more empty of the gospel and the need to fill its system with ceremony and rites and rituals and robes and bells and smells. And, and so they took these saints' days and made, them, and made these saints something more than mere sinners saved by grace. Made them into some sort of uh, super-Christian that the people were to look unto, and, and not, even, not only to look unto, uh, but to even pray to. So we see how what was, what was a, a, a very natural 
a response from a congregation when they missed um, whoever of their own uh, flock had been killed, but now it's turned into a terrible uh, situation with hundreds of years after the settlement of Christianity in 305, when Constantine became emperor and, and peace in the church was known, at least outward peace. But the fighting continued, the spiritual fighting continued, and we see that evidenced in all these saint days. And so if you were to look at a calendar, a, a, a Roman Catholic calendar, practically every day is, is devoted to one or more saints, and they're special days for these super uh, believers, as it were. But that was never the original intent. But so far did that system become of having a day set apart for saints that that the church thought, well, there must be saints that we don't know about, that haven't been recorded, haven't been written down, haven't been shared along, uh, around the, the churches, and we don't want to miss one. And so uh, it, it was actually it was started in England, much to our shame, but uh, to have one day for all the saints, just in case they happened to have missed one. And that was called All Saints Day, or as we would know it in England, All Hallows Day, and that was November the 1st in, in, in Britain. And so All Hallows Day, All Saints Day, and to all intents and purposes, a Roman Catholic holiday. But however, it is the evening before All Saints Day, All Hallows Day, that became known for something quite unsaintly, quite unholy. And the evening before came to be known as the Eve of the Hallows, Eve of All Hallows, or Hallows Even, or as from the Scottish English, because this is where we get it from, from the Scots, Halloween. Halloween. And there are many stories and suggestions as you, as you uh, study this to try and figure out what is the origin of, of Halloween and all those, uh, and all those parts of the, 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 the festival that, uh, that we know today. It, it's very difficult to put a, a finger on it. Some say that it's from a, a pagan Celtic festival, but uh, there's very little, little historical evidence to link these things. However, it began, it has transformed in North America, and even, as I said, with impossible Irish and Scottish pagan influences. But whatever it was, what it has become is something far darker. Something very dark. And although for many people Halloween is merely a, a, a day of, of, of harmless gorging on candy and, and dressing up and trying to fright people and trick-or-treating, and it's, it, it's brought in in this manner very, very gently and very childishly, shall we say, but we will discover that there are, Halloween has its elements, it has its background, it has things in, in its background that are far from sweet candy and child's play. Far from it. And so let us shine the light of Scripture upon the darkness of Halloween and examine it more closely, even with the Lord's gracious help this evening, as we, can, as we allow the Lord to cast gospel light on Halloween. Gospel light on Halloween. And when we consider this, firstly, let us consider the spiritual darkness, the spiritual darkness that, it's, that it reveals, shall we say, in the third epistle that John wrote, 3 John and then verse 11, he wrote this, he says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. 
And so we see, we see here very clearly that, that John is saying that we are to be as far from the evil and the darkness and the corruptedness of the world as we can be. Because there is a great spiritual darkness. A terrible spiritual darkness. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ uh, came into. As it says in, in chapter 1 of, of the Gospel according to John, it says in verse 4, In him was life, and the life and was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There's a great and deep uh, wickedness and spiritual darkness that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, came into, and, and, and this darkness is still here. This spiritual darkness. And it's darker than we take credit for, that we, that we understand, that we're aware of. But before we get into, into the depths of understanding that spiritual wickedness, let's firstly understand what the Apostle Paul says to the church of Corinth when he speaks, when he speaks about spiritual vanity. Spiritual vanity, that is emptiness. Emptiness. You might want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 8, verses 4 to 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verses 4 to 6. And hear what the Apostle says about false religion. Because Halloween is an aspect of false religion. He says this in 1 Corinthians 8 verses 4 to 6. As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So as much as the practitioners of the occult and if you don't know what the word occult is, the occult describes literally the hidden arts, the dark arts the, that you might want to link with, 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 with people that would contact the dead, uh, what we call necromancers, uh, people who would, who would be involved in, in Satanism in some way. Uh, these are people who were involved in the occult, literally that word occult meaning the hidden arts, the hidden things. And as much as practitioners of the occult, like spiritists, like uh, the, those involved in the New Age, those who are involved in witchcraft, and they like to think that there is a depth to their spiritual knowledge, they think there's a reality to their spiritual practice, and that they're able to possess real power, and they're able to manipulate uh, spiritual forces in all truth, and all false religion is essentially occult. And yet the Bible declares, as we've just read here, that that there's nothing there. There's no real God there. There's no real goddess. There's nothing. We know that there are nothing. There are no other gods than Jehovah God, Paul writes. And although they be called gods, we Bible-believing Christians know what the Word says. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. That there is no truth there is no power, there is no comfort, there is no hope, there is no salvation to be found in Islam, in Hinduism, in Buddhism, in Jainism, in the Baha'i faith, or whichever religion you want to put your finger on, except biblical Christianity. And it's all vanity because it's all empty. He's saying there's nothing there. 
It's all nothing. But there is God. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ. But besides it being spiritual vanity, that's only one side of the coin. Because on the other side is spiritual wickedness that is evident. So be, be, behind what they teach, behind the rituals, behind the, the fables and behind everything that they say is real, well, it's, it doesn't rest on any truth, it doesn't rest on any firm foundation, it is literally a tissue of lies. But then Paul goes on to say elsewhere, but behind this, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 20, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice... They sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. So clearly we have the vanity and the emptiness of the teachings and the doctrines and of the gods and the goddesses and and the rites and the rituals and the sacrifices are, are absolutely nothing. And yet behind that and linked to it and that spiritual force that drives it is the devil. So on the one hand, vanity, and on the other hand, deep wickedness. And that's why behind this religious fiction is a true religious deceit perpetrated uh, by the devil. And that's why it's a, it's a, these false religions and false philosophies are lying, deceiving, giving false commandments, giving false hopes... And causing billions of people to believe in that which will do them no good. But will rather do them harm. All these various false gospels, as it were. False hopes that people have in these, in these religions. And the, the point of this is, is that the devil will tie them to these religions and to these ceremonies and to these rituals. So they will not believe the true gospel. They will, they will not look unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That they will not be saved. That they, but they will be damned. And so it is with Halloween. On the, on the one hand, it is a nothing burger. It's absolutely empty, vanity. It's children dressing up and, and, and having candy. And, and, and okay, there's a meaner aspect to it with trick-or-treating. But on the other hand... The devil is behind it. The devil is behind it. And as often is the case, the, the devil attempts to deceive through half-lives and half-lies and half-truths. And even through children. And what the devil attempts to do through all these things that are, he puts forth in, in, in full false religions and even Halloween being an expression of, 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 of paganism... What it's meant to do is to blind people more and more, to blind them and to bind them more and more. As as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And we will open up more and more as we consider the the darkness that is to be found in Halloween. So the spiritual darkness that is revealed by this festival. Secondly, the spiritual danger that comes forth from that darkness. We've we've hinted at it, we've touched upon it. And that's why we read Isaiah 8 and verses 19 uh, to 20. 
But the Lord God says to his people there in verse uh, 19, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, those, that is, those who have a spirit that they, that they have personal contact with, that they have a friendship with, that they, these people that they are, that they, a medium we would call them, that are so, uh, are so close and in such direct contact with this, with this spirit, whom they may believe as a dead person, but we understand very clearly, is certainly a devil. Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. What is they saying there? They're saying these people who call themselves wizards, a wizard, just a male version of a witch. So this male witch is, is, said, to, is said to be filled with, 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 with spirits and to, to speak to the, the other side, as they would call it, and, and, and produces noises and sounds as he's, as be, he's being taken control of. And when they say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. And they, in other words, they say unto you, get involved in the occult. Get, play around with these things. Experiment with the things of darkness. Now you see how the Halloween is a, is, is a, is a front door uh, to a lot of this, this stuff. Because of course when people get older... It's not just going to be bobbing an apple in, in, in a pail of water. It's not just going to be uh, uh, dressing up. It's, it, it, it goes for many people a lot further. And we'll look at that as we get into it. But the spiritual danger that we have. Should not a people seek unto their God? And then in the very compact Hebrew that we've just read, you would say, instead of for the living to the dead. And then we're brought to the law and to the testimony immediately to the scriptures. If this is not what God has commanded, has God commanded the Halloween? Has God commanded that this and that should be done? Has God commanded that we should make contact with the dead? On the contrary, on the contrary. Because God knows the wickedness, God knows the danger, God knows the darkness, and consistently says that we are to keep away from such wickedness. But what is, this, what is this desire that there is that we see in the world, especially uh, when we consider uh, this society that we are in? So when we consider the spiritual danger, we have a spiritual danger because there is great apostasy from God. Apostasy means a, a turning away, a falling away from the truth, and that's certainly what we see as a nation. The seeking of God, the fear of God, the obedience to God, has been systematically stopped. And, and we know the devil has been working through many people, through Tutu Doze at the moment, but through others as well, uh, generation after generation, but decade after decade. And we've seen liberalism in the churches, we've seen atheism in the schools, multiculturalism in society, and they have all been used by the devil to bring about this great apostasy, this great turning away from the truth, from the gospel. And not only turning from the gospel, but and not even coming into some neutral space, which doesn't exist, of course, because it is unbelief, but, but a turning into paganism. There's a clear turn to paganism in so many different ways. Even what we would consider years ago a, a political conservatism is, is barely conservative fiscally, not socially, not morally. 
socially and morally they are as corrupt and as weak as anyone else. There might be one or two exceptions, but on a whole, as a whole, it's just fiscal conservatism, making sure that the pocketbook balances, and that's very important. That's very important. But it's far more important that the nation bows the knee to King Jesus and repents of its sins. And what do we consider then if we look even back just uh, just 25 years ago? Like Israel of old, corruption into wickedness, the ignorance of God, the turning to false gods and abandoning the worship of the one true God happens within a generation. Even those who, who went to church and were, and were careful to maintain the public worship of God, their children no longer go to church. There are indeed exceptions and we thank the Lord for those. But the truth that God is a righteous and a holy God has now been ignored. As it were, it's almost been wiped out of the social uh, memory of everybody in general. And the truth that sin is wicked and it will be punished has been absolutely sidelined because you're not allowed to put your finger on anyone's sin because you're not to judge. And the truth that the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour has been derided. So the truth of the devil has been replaced with a fantasy of the devil. And indeed that's what you see. And we will look at that very shortly. But all of that that we've just mentioned and much more, but those core things expose a people to the deceptions of the devil and bring the self-same people under the judgment of God. And the judgment of God has touched this land in the law books, in those who are in power, in the state of the morals in the street. The, the, the millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people who are addicted to drugs that are imported, it seems without any stop from China or from Mexico or from South America, just flooding the country and it's allowed in. It seems it's allowed in, and no doubt there is wicked corruption in the politicians and in the police. But see how that corruption goes away, and it can, continues and, and grows unabated. And so people now are deceived completely, where they, they have an idea that all religions are the same. So it's a pick and mix in a supermarket. You go to the candy section, and you pick what you want, it's up to you, it depends on what, what taste that you have. Or even worse, the idea that you have from the Far Eastern religions that, that you need to balance good and evil. You know, the idea of the yin-yang. Which, if you just spent one minute thinking about it, is absolutely nonsense. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to balance murder and keeping of life. How are we to balance that? Theft and, uh, and working hard for your money. How can you balance these things? They're, they're diametrically opposed. Wicked and evil is one thing and must be done away with and the good must be encouraged. And something similar to that is the idea that the fight between good and evil is a fight between two equals. That you have the good and the evil and they're, they're fighting against each other and sometimes the good wins a bit and, and sometimes the evil wins a bit. Essentially, Star Wars doctrine, that... And that glorifies the power and it glorifies the authority and the ability of the devil. 
and blasphemes against God as the sovereign he is. And this is what happened when Christian countries, countries that were once supposedly Christian, they no longer seek unto their God. Uh, but they seek them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. They seek wisdom and salvation in all the wrong areas. And we could go back and examine how, how that has happened in detail, but we won't. But understand this, there is an apostasy from God. And secondly, there is an adoration of the devil. There's an adoration of the devil. And I said that the Halloween just is, as it were, the top of the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg uh, when we consider this. Because there is an incredibly strong occultizing power at work in society today. It's always been there. But it's very strong. We could say instead of occultizing, we could say a paganization of, of the Canadian society. Of which Halloween then plays its own part. And Halloween becoming more macabre, becoming more dark, becoming more wicked, becoming more widespread... Uh, that in some places, uh, house after house is decorated. And um, I know in the village in England, a little beautiful little English village in Kent, where my sister lives, uh, when it comes to Halloween, so many of the houses uh, have, have been set up and decorated. They spend time and money and effort to make something gruesome just to be able to scare people as they, as they go past. But of course, England is very much a pagan nation. Maybe even far advanced down the road than Canada at the moment. But we ought to be very careful uh, with this paganization. Well, because we become desensitized to it. We see it so often. I just drove past a neighbor today and their front yard is, is full of gravestones. Gravestones and RIP and names on there. And it's, it's, it's quite bizarre. It's very bizarre. But also we must be careful that we don't read too much into it as well. That we're going to see demons and devils everywhere. When we know very clearly the devil is ultimately behind it. But we don't have to be afraid. Because God is in control. Because it isn't a 50-50 battle. There is, no, there is no comparison between the power of Almighty God and the measly tiny power that the Lord grants to the devil. But we'll look at that in the last point. So, yes, so we shouldn't look at Halloween and then, and then make too much of it, but be conscious of the fact of the truths of the lies that it, it represents. But it is part of a larger death cult that's gaining ground in the world. In entertainment, entertainment has gone from, from, from say, musicals and dancing and, and more happy, uh, frothy things uh, all the way to extreme occult movies about the devil and about fear and about demons and possessions and television programs. I mean, I'm not just saying it's from this year, but these things have been increasing. The obsession with zombies, with the living dead and with rotting bodies and the, the amount of violence that's now shown on the screen and the close-ups, things that were never shown directly are now in all bloody detail revealed. And not only that, but the entertainment, even with regarding to Satanism and the occult, these things are become entertainment. 
So in entertainment, we see this death cult at work. But what about in society? We see the death cult in the sense of, a, of abortion. Abortion going on, unabated. Euthanasia. The hatred on streets, as we looked at this morning. Hatred is linked with murder. It is murder of the heart. The amount of hate, the amount of violence. And the violence is just increasing. I think the, uh, the amount of, of, of stabbings in, in our area of the city, uh, I think, doubled or, or, or tripled in two years. And drugs, and the promotion of drugs, the legalization of drugs. And then we have the increase of moral corruption. Sodomy. And all of that involves... The physical transitioning of children, of pumping them with drugs and chopping bits off their body. The child abuse that increases, the cross-dressing in society. Death, death to identity, death to the body, death to the ability of that poor child to grow up and become a father or to become a mother if they even survive all the chemicals that have been pumped into them. And as I mentioned, the increase in, 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 in the occult is entertainment. And that has come and gone throughout the centuries. But the use of seances, the Ouija boards, of, of people seeking uh, wizards that peep and mutter. I parked my car uh, at the Tim Hortons just a, a, a couple of weeks ago. And I came back and there was a little card. A little card from somebody who was like an astrologer and could do all sorts of things. Could contact the dead and, and could and break curses in your life and, and this, that and the other. And just, just full of darkness as I read that card. But then that's all revealed as we see in the widespread growth of paganism. And it's not necessarily a paganism, you can say that that's Hinduism or it's this or it's that or the other. But you just see people walking around exactly as pagans used to walk around. Full of tattoos, full of, full of piercings, full of drugs, full of false ideas. A, a whole scale turning back of which Halloween is merely the, the, the tip of that iceberg as I meant. And all of these things that I've mentioned, even in the entertainment and in society and in the politics, are all meant to do what? They're meant to desensitize people. To desensitize them from what is wicked. And so in a film in, in the 1960s, something was horrific, but now it's so graphic and so horrific to, in the details that are given. When, if you were to watch something, and I'm not suggesting that you do, but people are so desensitized that they just accept it more and more. More accustomed to immorality, to wickedness, to the doctrines of the, of, of the devils, and even to the devil himself, to Satan. So the, the occult, this death cult, the things of death, the things of the devil, are no longer seen for the evil that they are. They're taken lightly. They're taken too lightly. They're made to be a fascinating interest or to be... Uh, to be some sort of uh, fun thing, and that's, that's the danger of Halloween. Taking that which is truly of the devil and encourages blindness to the gospel, encourages a fascination with the occult and with seances and with tarot cards and, and all these other matters, and, and just seem to be fun, that is the real heart and danger of Halloween. 
It's the front door, it's the path, it's the, the invitation to become more and more blinded and bound by the devil. And those that then get involved in it more and more see it more as a source of personal power, that they're able to have power and they're able to manipulate people, they're able to get their own way in life. But no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So the apostasy from God, leading to the adoration of the devil and the things of the devil, with the fruits of this, the ascendancy of, ascendancy of fear, the increase of fear. Because involvement with the occult and watching uh, horror movies uh, and, and making use of Ouija boards, taking part in seances and, and tarot cards and, and those deeper aspects of what Halloween represents. And even things at the, in the funfair, things like the ghost train and, and the haunted house and, and all of these aspects. What do all these things have in common? Is to increase your fear. It's to give you fear, to make you fearful, and to give a bit of a kick when you get scared. But so the next time, you, it's not going to be enough. You want to be more scared, more, more intrigued, more terrified. Fear. Each of those things is meant to scare you. And that fear does not leave you. That fear stays in you and with you. And the next time... You're looking for the next kick, you're looking for the next thrill, you're looking for the next buzz, until these people's lives are filled with fear, so much so that what we might consider a childish thing, that a child doesn't want to walk, uh, if all the lights are turned off, they, they would be scared to walk alone through this church uh, sanctuary. But for grown adults, grown adults would be terrified. They're afraid of the dark and fear. I would suggest leads to the increase of Satan's control in your life. Because you learn to fear Satan and his power more than you learn to fear God. And the fear of Satan is a, is a, is a, a fearful anxiety. It's a, it's a terrifying fear. It's a dark fear. The fear of God, on the other hand, is a glorious fear. It is the fear that teaches us to love God and to worship Him and to walk according to His commandments and to walk with Him and to love His Son. Completely different uh, type of fear. But fear is, as all tyrants know, a fantastic way to control and manipulate people. That's why the tyrants, whether they're fascists or Marxists, all know that trick. They've learnt it well. They learnt it from the French. The French and the French Revolution and the great terror. And the rulers in that French, uh, French Revolution in the 1700s, they, they knew that this was the way to control a whole nation. As they took uh, aristocrat after aristocrat, royalty after royalty to the, to the guillotine to, the, to have their heads chopped off in front of people. And anybody who rebelled against them from the lower working classes, they too could be sent to the guillotine. What a great way to manipulate. And that's the work of the devil. Fear, manipulation, terror are of the devil and not of God. And the devil wants you to fear him because if you fear him, you give him, as it were, more power. You give him more honor than he actually has. But we are to be wary of him and to know his deceitful ways, to know his wiles. 
and keep him at arm's length. Spiritual darkness, spiritual danger. But let me turn and speak of spiritual victory. Spiritual victory. Because although Halloween and the glorification of death and the occult and darkness can leave people with the feeling that the powers of darkness are far too great for them, and maybe they are, and yes they are, it is a danger. There is a a nothingness to them, and yet there is a great terror to them as well. But the gospel reveals that all the dark forces of hell, all the dark forces of, of the devil, all the dark forces of his devils, and all the dark forces of Halloween have been more than conquered by the gospel. The gospel has conquered them all. And by the one true and living triune God... And we'll see this and understand this as we consider God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And see the conquering of gospel light upon this wicked darkness. The first of all, that God the Father is all light. He's all light. In great contrast to the darkness of the devil and the occult. 1 John 1 and verse 5. Uh, the, the, the apostle reveals this this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all what a contrast what a contrast now, the gospel speaks of a good God of a merciful God of a kind God of a God that sent his own son into the world to die for darkened sinners that they may be saved. The Lord Jehovah is not a tyrant. The Lord Jehovah is not a deceiver. The Lord Jehovah is all light, and in him is no darkness at all. And where you might naturally might be scared of the dark and the forces of darkness, here's what we have in the gospel, is that you can flee to the God of light. You can flee to him. Because darkness cannot exist where the light shines. If we were to turn all these lights off, there would be darkness. But as soon as we turn on the lights, where's the darkness gone? And tell me, children, where's the darkness gone? Now that we have all the lights turned on, it's disappeared. Where there is light, darkness cannot exist. Darkness is merely, in this way... The absence of light, and God himself is light. God doesn't just bring a light. God himself is the light, and and it is a pure light, and it is a powerful light, and it is a gospel light. And there is no darkness in God, therefore there is no deception in God, there is no manipulation in God, and there is no false anxious fear to be found before God. Because we understand that God is light. That God is not a liar, God is not a deceiver, God is not a manipulator, therefore you can trust this God. You can trust him. And you can trust what this God says because he is honest, he is faithful, he is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Everything that the devil is not. So God the Father is all light. And the only way to him is the Son. Which brings us to the Son. Christ has conquered Satan. Christ has conquered Satan. 
and all the forces of the devil. Colossians 2 verses 13 to 15 tell us these wonderful truths. And he says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, that is, given you life together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now if we just spend a a couple of minutes to consider what's just been said here. Is Jesus of Nazareth, as he is hanging in pain on that cross, as it were defeated by the powers of darkness and the unbelief of the Jewish nation, and as he's suffering great, uh, great pain and great humiliation, he would say, well, he's defeated. But that's not what the scriptures say. It's not what the gospel says. It's not what that verse says, that we, those, those three verses from, second, uh, from Colossians chapter 2 say. By any means, that what they're saying is, is, there is Jesus Christ, he's hanging on the cross, to all appearances defeated by the power of darkness, but in reality, while hanging there, while bleeding there, while dying there, he is defeating them. And he is conquering them. And he's conquering the devil, and he's conquering all the, all the different layers of hierarchy that the devil has, the, the principalities and the powers, and he's, he's making a show of them. He's mocking them. He's rebuking them. There as he's dying on the cross. But then it goes on to say, he took it out of the way, he took our sin out of the way, he took our bondage to Satan out of the way, and he nailed it to his cross, And having spoiled principalities and powers. Not just conquering them. But you know what spoiling is? It's when you've won the battle and you go back over the battlefield. And you take that golden amulet. And you take that nice piece of armor. You take that expensive sword. You're taking away all that once belonged to the enemy that you've completely defeated. So there he is again still um, hanging, bleeding and dying on the cross. He conquers them and he's spoiling them. And finally it says, he triumphs over, triumphs over them. What is a triumph? A triumphant march is when the, when the victorious army that has won the battle, and no doubt a range of battles, comes back to their home city. We can think of the Roman army marching back uh, towards the city of Rome in triumph, carrying the spoils, glorying in their own military power. Now let me bring you back to the cross to where Christ is hanging and bleeding and dying and he does all three. He conquers them and he spoils them and he triumphs over them. He spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly and triumphing over them in it. Believe it, you and I are part of these spoils of war. We were ripped out of the hand of the devil. And we became the spoils of Jesus Christ. We became his. Delivered. See the weakness and and the, the, the meekness 
and the brokenness of Christ. And in that condition, every power of darkness was conquered. And so if Christ in that position can conquer every force of the devil, what about now in his exalted position as he sits on the right hand of the majesty on high? Is your sin and your soul too difficult for him to save? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. He has conquered the devil. And therefore for you to be delivered from the devil, whom must you come to? You must come to Jesus Christ. And when you come to Christ, you become a child of the Father of lights. You enter into the kingdom of light and are called the children of light. Thirdly and finally, the indwelling spirit is greater than Satan. So God the Father is all light. Christ has conquered Satan through and through. And then the indwelling spirit is greater than Satan. And Christ, when he saves you, he pours out his spirit into you. And we read this again also in 1 John. This time chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So when you come to the Son in order that you might have peace between your soul and the Father, you receive the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. And as this Holy Spirit indwells you and He protects you and He is that down payment for eternal life and bliss, you, believer, have no need to fear the devil, not to fear the dark in a room, not to fear walking even on the street. Obviously, use your wisdom and some streets you shouldn't walk down. But in any case, wherever you're walking, know this, that the Spirit of the conquering Christ is within you. And greater is he that is in you than anyone, including the devil that is in the world. And so we close with those verses that we read. And when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light into them. So when those that say, get involved in the occult, take an interest in these matters, don't. Don't. Seek unto your God. Seek unto the one true and living God. And test all things by the law and the testimony. If any including you, if any speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So be a good Berean and make sure everything that you hear and you believe and you obey is exactly according to the Scriptures without anything taken away, without anything added. And seek God. And in that Gospel command, seek freedom. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver you from your sins. You bow down to a victorious and a glorious king. You repent of your wicked sins. Repent of the wickedness that is within you. And have faith in this Redeemer. Trust his command to repent and believe. And then you say, well, preacher... 
I'm not too sure there's much repentance in me. I'm not too sure there's much, if any, faith in me. Yes, indeed, for you it is impossible. But with God, nothing shall be impossible. And so that's your first prayer. Lord, I repent, help me to repent. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And may God save your never-dying souls. Amen. Let us pray. We thank thee, our God, for thy word. We thank thee for the great victory of Christ upon the cross. Oh, how glorious he is. O oh, Lord, we who cannot lift a finger, Lord, to uh, conquer sin, and we who have nothing to pay for sin, we may flee to the Saviour and call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, with that promise, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, there is nothing that we can do for it, there's nothing that we can do before it. But we must call upon the Lord. Grant, O Lord, that we would take thee at thy word, to the law and to the testimony, for that is where we will find salvation. Hear us in Jesus' name. Amen.